0: Our library that we lived by had a cool program in Colorado where, with parents' permission, you could kind of borrow out a telescope for a week.
1: So I, re- I remember seeing this video of someone explaining like how you can see the ISS, like if you plan it out and you look up what time is going to trans- uh, like go over your local town, you can actually see the ISS. It's like, oh, I want to try
2: that. Aurelia Smitty and Griffin Hazeman join us today, two young, very bright amateur astronomers whose interest and talent in our hobby gives me nothing but great confidence that the future of amateur astronomy is bright indeed. Hello everyone and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories.
3: Perfect. Well, let's just dive right in. Griffin Aurelius, thank you both so much for being here. This is one that I've been really, really excited to do. Um, obviously, I've done astronomy with both of you, and um, they are some of the more fun times that I've had doing astronomy. So uh, let's let's dive right in and talk astronomy. You're both okay with that, right? Yeah. Yep. Just talking about the hobby that, uh, that both of you got the right start on. You started early about what? 15 years before I did, You're how old are, how old are both of you? I'm 13. I'm 13. 13 years old, and how long have you been doing astronomy? I started um, back in last March, actually. Last March, what about you, Aurelius? I started
0: June, 2019. June,
3: 2019, yeah. And so, how did that happen? How did you get started so early?
0: Well, whenever I've kind of been in touch with cameras, for a long time. Whenever I was four, my mom and dad, for my birthday, my mom and dad gave me my first camera. It was an Olympus Tough TG-1. And so I used that a lot. I wasn't doing Astro yet. You know, that's just a point and shoot camera. So, Mm -hmm. but anyways, then that was like the early beginning. And then later on, we got, let's skip ahead a few years, but then later on, I uh, we got the Sky Guide app on an iPad Mini, and I started using that to, you know, find constellations and planets. And then I'd look around, and whenever the ISS is going to go past, and then whenever there's meteor showers, we'd go outside and watch them. And Which then, app was that?
3: Which app were you using? Sky Guide. Oh, Sky Guide. Yeah.
0: And then, I still use it to this day. I think it's a really user-friendly app and I still use Mm -hmm. it to find new targets to shoot and stuff. But then,
3: yeah, I agree. I agree. It makes the whole process simple and helps you kind of plan what you want to do.
0: Yeah. So then in three years ago in 2018, our library that we lived by had a cool program in Colorado where with parents permission, you could, kind of borrow out a telescope for a week and I think it was a there was a tabletop Dobsonian I think it was 114 millimeter and with that we would and then we'd bring it home and then we looked at the moon and I also during the day used it to look at planes which I thought was cool but then during the night we looked at the moon and stars and we also used it to just look at mountains and stuff and that to me was a a really eye-opening experience and it sparked my curiosity. <laughs> no <pun intended>. for... <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> it,
0: and then it started it kind of like sparked my curiosity for astronomy and from then on like for a long time ever since I was really young I've had a deep like interest in space and astronomy but then that was whenever it really got started. Was three years ago in twenty eighteen, and then, like, was it like one or two years later? I will. I it was like one year later. I told my dad I wanted to get a telescope, and then he told me that I'm going to have to figure out which kind of telescope we would get, whether it's like a Dobsonian or a refractor, Schmidt Cassegrain. Um, and I wanted to get a Dobsonian because I thought it'd be really good for deep sky. But then my right. dad, he ended up getting the Skywatcher Evostar 100, 120 ED. And yeah, I've seen that in your pictures.
3: Sun. I've seen you using that one. Yeah. It's actually, and, isn't that in your profile picture on Instagram, that scope? Yep. Yeah, I thought it was.
0: And then, because whenever I wanted to get the Dobsonian, I wasn't interested in astrophotography then. So I was just thinking thinking solely for visual astronomy, but then my mm-hmm. dad got that telescope and a tracking mount, the Explorer Scientific Exos two go to with the PMC eight. And then we got it actually on the night of the lunar eclipse on the twentieth, January twentieth, twenty nineteen. So we were able to look at that. And that was just like a it was a really cool experience. And now that I think of it, I You know there was that people said that there was like a meteor that hit the moon during the lunar eclipse.
2: Yeah, I heard that. Yep.
0: Yeah, and kind of at around the same time. Whenever I was looking through, I'm not sure if it was just my imagination or not, but this was before, of course. I knew about the meteor, the meteorite, and then I, I, I thought I saw a little flash in around the same area, and then I told uh, my mom and dad, and then. Later on, I found out that it was the that there was that meteorite. So I'm kind of contemplating whether I saw it or not. But then, around half a year later, I got into astrophotography, and I was thinking then that you know I was like, how could people do astrophotography so much? I think I'm always going to stick more to visual astronomy. But All then right, after doing it, <laughs> and then after, and then the, the story
3: took a turn, Tony. I yeah. know. I know. Where he's Pull going. up his Instagram, and you'll see how <laughs> and phenomenal then I an astrophotography. And now <laughs> I never use eyepieces ever again. So no, I know. go ahead. No, they're story. doing legendary <laughs> photography. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So then, at maybe about like a week, or like one or two weeks after, or maybe even just a couple of days after starting astrophotography, then it just stuck with me, and I couldn't go back. I still love using eyepieces, but then I think it's really cool in astrophotography, how you can see it really faint, nebulae, and you can get a lot right. more detail.
2: Well, one thing's for sure. If you had gotten that, uh, if you had been imaging when that meteor hit, you'd know for sure if you saw it or not, at least at that right. point. So Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah then there's, there's no doubt. And, and to give it context, because I guess I should have prefaced this with the fact that both of you are... You know, very in the community now, very well-known astrophotographers. I mean, I met you both through the uh, OPT Twitch channel, Clear Skies Network, which was back then Gibson Picks. But um, yeah, I mean, when when you first started saying that you were were into it, I was like, this is, I mean, at this age, that that is exactly when people should start getting into it. You don't see it very much. It's, um, it's a very unique thing to see somebody so young tackling such a challenging hobby, and not only doing it, but doing it extremely well, both of your Instagram pages, I mean, anybody listening right now, you really should go check them out. Do you mind real quick, just saying what each of your Instagrams are for people that want to follow along and see your photography?
1: Yeah. um, So on Instagram,
3: I'm Arcturus Astro. Arcturus Astro, no uh, hyphens, underscores, just Arcturus Astro, um, all one word.
0: Yep. And then mine is a little bit harder to remember. It's A E Midi Astro. You spell it A E M Y T T Y Astro. And then all one word.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think if you're listening along, you really should go look at some of some of the work as we're having this conversation here because I gotta tell you guys, I am blown away every single time I see one of you post something. And then you know, uh, Griffin. I'm sure we'll we'll get into the talk in just a little bit here about the project we're doing together right now. But um, I mean, you you are both doing work that I think it's it's really incredible that it's not like oh, this is a great shot for somebody so young for a young teenager. People would just see that in that last part is completely left off. It's just this is a great shot, period. And it's it's really amazing how quickly you got there. I mean. You said you've only been doing this a uh, you know a year or two years, and I mean that's a uh, that's phenomenal, guys. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. It really is. Yeah. So Aurelius, I know I inter- interrupted your thought there. Please continue, buddy. Yeah, or did I not?
0: Okay. No, I'm, I was pretty much getting towards the end of it. <laughs> okay.
3: <but> all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great story. It's an excellent then, story.
0: Yeah, and then. A little later on, then I heard about your Instagram streams, and I started watching them, and they were really informative. And I remember we could ask all these sorts of questions, and you would answer them, and you and you'd give these really good answers. And then, and then, like you said, then a little later, you started the Twitch stream, and I think, I I think I was there. Like, was it? I think the second stream you did. And then,
3: yeah, you were so, there really early on,
0: if not the first, I think it was the second one, yeah, and I still remember the mono audio.
3: <laughs> you were there the first stream then, yeah, it was uh so the the people that came to my first probably six live streams really you. <laughs> You're you're the best because you had to really want to be there, folks. When all the stream was was technical difficulties. <laughs> the entire thing from start to finish was me literally asking Aurelius and the other handful of people there, uh guys, can you can you help me figure out this sound issue? Why is it not showing up on the screen, Tony? We tried to have Tony join the first one, and we couldn't even get the link to work to where you could even bring guests in. So those were the those were the good yeah. old days. You stuck I with it, Aurelius. That. Yeah, what a mess that was. But hey, we had a lot of fun on there, and, and honestly, Aurelius, you were involved in probably my favorite moment on the uh, the Twitch streams. Ever. So for anyone that doesn't know, Clear Skies Network is a place on Twitch that you can go. And it's um, people like Aurelius Griffin here, uh, myself, Tony, we hang out and we talk astronomy. And so it's it's really nice to have the open discussion so that you can ask anything and get answers like like you just mentioned Aurelius in real time. It's, it's a nice resource to be able to communicate and just talk astronomy with people that love it as much as you do. Um, but we have a lot of different hosts there um, including myself, that you know, we just run the observatories or we talk telescopes, and it's a lot of different things. But it's it runs just about every single night. So that's Clear Skies Network. But um, I think my favorite moment probably ever when I was streaming was I had just done a project with um, a gentleman named William. He's twelve years old, and I know you know him, uh, Aurelius. I think you guys have kept up communication. But we did a project together where he had never shot before, and so. I was going to let him log in from Georgia into a telescope in the desert in California and take his very first image. At the time, I didn't realize that he was going to show me up and that he was going to take a better image than anything I had ever taken with my telescope and <laughs> make me look bad, but it is the best thing ever. I mean, he absolutely killed it. He took this incredible M51 Whirlpool Galaxy image that still, I still believe it to be the best image on all of my uh, posts on Instagram—it's just absolutely gorgeous and incredible. And it was his first image, but right after he took it, you joined us, surrealist. Do you remember this? Oh, yep. You joined us on the stream.
0: I thought it was really cool it, to be able to talk to William because yeah, he's starting astrophotography and he's really young too.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's, he was 12 years old then. And I think you were still 12 at the time too. And uh, that was the moment though. That was the moment that I was talking about being my favorite moment was when he was excited. He was thrilled that he was just now getting to process this image. And then you joined us live on Clear Skies Network and you both started talking about what got you into the hobby and just how much, how much passion both of you had for space from two completely different angles. He just liked you know kind of the more um space is fascinating because of its nature it's just huge it's above us it's beautiful it's you know it's a never-ending pool of things to learn and then on your side you also had the technical aspects of understanding the equipment and what goes into it kind of like griffin kind of like what you you're both very technically minded and um Listening to that conversation, I remember everybody in the chat was just like posting the cry, like the tears faces and like everybody was so that that passion was so contagious. And I think, honestly, it was probably my favorite moment of all of the streams that I've done. It was absolutely incredible.
0: And the community on Twitch is really great, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Griffin, do you mind if we uh we, we put the mic on you here for a second? Yeah. All let's, right. Let's do so- it. Man. Let's talk. Let's talk your story. I want to know how you got into this.
1: So, I think it started way back in November, December 2019. And I remember <laughs> way back this. in 2019. I know.
2: I'm trying not to die here. <laughs> <laughs> way back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so yeah
3: Tony I, Hand built the I'm pyramids. Old. I'm you're old. You're talking way back in 2019. Yeah, Griffin, I'm I'm
2: old. So, <laughs> any, this, I mean, uh, <laughs> all of this stuff is just like, Okay, go ahead.
1: So I I remember seeing this video of someone explaining, like, how you can see the ISS. Like, if you plan it out and you look up what time it's going to, like, go over your local town, you can actually see the ISS. It's like, oh, I want to try that. So I remember um, going on, like, NASA's website and trying to find the next time the ISS was going to go over my town. Um, And then once I saw that, I'm like, whoa, that was really, really cool. Um, and then I think I remember trying to take a picture of it with my phone and I used this app. I can't remember which one it was, but it was some sort of like star guide app. Like, Mm. Hey, what's all this other stuff out here? Like what's a nebula? What's, what's all this here? Um, so I kept doing more research. Um, things started getting a little bit bigger. And then I remember asking my mom actually, so she had a DSLR. I'm like, Hey, can I use your camera for this one thing? Can I try to take a picture of this nebula? And that was the Orion Nebula. And that was by that time it was actually mid March. I think it was like March twentieth um, or something. And I remember just putting it, this camera and a telephoto lens on this monopod and leaning it against a tree, pointing it at this nebula and like taking my first ever picture. And I remember just being so excited about it once I saw it. I'm like, that is way out there in space.
3: Right. Um, Yeah, when it sets in that it's not just a picture. This is an actual thing. Like, this is a place way, way out there that, you know, most humans in history never even knew existed. And now you're leaning a monopod (laughs) over to take a picture of it from your front yard. It's just like, it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. Um, And using a monopod. (laughs) <laughs> yeah astrophotography on a monopod hey man, props
2: props for that man use what <laughs> yeah. you got right that's, yeah that's exactly. awesome yeah.
3: that is it's incredible
1: so i remember for basically the rest of march and then most of april every night that it was clear i was just out there with that monopod trying to get a better and better picture of it um at the time i didn't know um how big it would get or like that it could be a lot better or how to make the images better. But I think something about that experience of just going outside and just taking photos just really got me interested. So I started doing more research on equipment. So I was looking at telescopes and all that. And then it was basically a lot of what I did until um, my birthday in May when I asked for a, um, a skywatcher star adventure. So that's a portable star tracker. Um, that I was going to use with that camera and lens. And actually, I u- I still use that exact camera and lens to this day. It's a good little mount. Yeah. So that mount took me really, really far. I remember taking my first like tracked image of uh, M13, the, glo- the globular uh, cluster. And I remember just seeing it on the screen and just being absolutely amazed that I was able to take a picture of it. And especially from the city, you know, there's a lot of light pollution here. I think it's portal eight. So then I started taking more images and, uh, stacking, them and experimenting with processing. I mean, before that, I hadn't really done any of that because for a couple months, I was just doing on track. I mean, I eventually got a tripod, but it was just all on track with the big wide angle lens, which is especially hard in light pollution. But yeah, that mount took me really, really far. I shot a lot of targets with that, including my first long project. Um, that was a 20 hour project on this, um, on Cygnus during the summer. Um, so that was a really, really good experience. And I think it really helped as well, because if you're using simpler equipment like that, you really, really get to know what you can do and what you can't do with it. Having to get to know the night sky and where everything is. So you can actually find your target. I think that was a really good experience to have as well. And then actually right after that long project was done, I think something about that had really spoken to my parents, um, and they were really starting to see how much I was getting into this. So then they actually bought me my first um, go-to mount and that's the one I use today. It's the HEQ5 Pro from Skywatcher. Yeah. It's really, really nice to use. It's nice and light, but it still can hold quite a bit of weight. Yeah, that's the setup I use right now, along with that camera and lens. And then in December of this year, I got auto-guiding. So that was a huge step forwards as well, um, being able to take those longer and longer exposures and not having to worry about star trailing. Mm-hmm. It really just takes images to the next level.
3: It's a pretty big uh, step, too, to yeah. take in astrophotography, especially you started with the, the star adventurer, you said, right? Yeah. And the Star Adventurer is, I mean, the beauty of it is that it's meant to be used with really short focal length stuff because it's got to be small. It doesn't have a very, you know, uh, big capacity to it. So you use a small lens or a sm- very small telescope. Uh, but because of that, that reduced focal length, you don't have to worry about things like guiding. You know, you can do yeah. it without it because you're not so magnified. Mm-hmm. But as you start getting those bigger telescopes and those bigger mounts, you yeah. guiding becomes very important. So so you made that transition. Did you have any trouble? making that jump
1: um i think because i had spent so long on that star tracker and i really got to know how these things work it wasn't actually that big of a jump in terms of figuring everything out Mm -hmm. when i made a jump to that mount like star alignment and better polar alignment obviously that was a bit new but other than that it pretty much just fell into place and then you know auto guiding that really really helped you know I remember on the star adventure, even shooting at, you know, one, one and a half minute exposures, half the exposures were just completely trailed and useless. Yeah. So being able to just not have to worry about that was just so nice. Like you get a full night of imaging. And then one more thing I did want to talk about is actually last night I finally started doing some lunar photography. So back in the fall, uh, Explorer Scientific was doing these virtual star parties and they were streaming that to Twitch and um, I think a couple other platforms. and They're doing these trivia questions, and I actually ended up winning uh, one of their scopes. Um, hey, but, awesome! Yeah, yeah so wait, which scope Acrom- did you win? Uh, it was the AR 102. Um, nice, so Achromat. Yeah, so a I cool scope. Unfortunately, couldn't use it for a deep sky, mm-hmm. um, but. I do have a guide camera now. I'm like, Hey, why don't I just try putting the guide camera on that scope? because It's monochrome, um, and just try to take some pictures of the moon. Um, and it ended up working really, really well, way better than I could have expected actually.
3: So the most recent image on your Instagram of the, the moon shot there, that was with that, uh, four inch refractor. Yeah. Yeah. That's an incredible image, man. That was with the guide camera.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was surprised.
3: Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, both of you have done quite a bit of, uh, or have done phenomenal lunar shots. Aurelius, you you seem to have a lot of lunar shots here on your thing. You must, uh, is that one of your more favorite things to shoot, is the moon?
0: Well, it certainly is easier, but I think I still enjoy deep sky more.
3: Just the challenge of deep sky, uh, is is that the appeal? Is that it's fun because it's so difficult?
0: Probably, Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the moon is a little easier, only because the exposures are so short. You don't have to worry with yeah. guiding. You don't have to worry with any really anything. I mean, you can almost do it just on track, just pointed at it. You know, it's like your exposure is a fraction of one second, like a thousandth of a second if it's a if it's a yeah. big moon, and um, you know, it's the shorter the exposure, the easier things get. But both of you have uh, some long exposure stuff here, like uh, Griffin. I see one of your more recent ones is a beautiful shot of. Um, the rosette here
1: yeah um that was actually my first uh guided image as well so um the rosette nebula was setting um for my image imaging location i we like hey i've never shot this before why don't i try it and i was really really surprised at especially with a stock dslr how actually bright that nebula is you know there's a lot of hydrogen in there that you can really pull out in processing as well
3: yeah, absolutely. And so, how did you? What program are you using for your editing? Because I see you reversed the channels into mm-hmm. Hubble Palette.
1: So I use Deep Sky Stacker for the pre-processing, mm-hmm. and the rest is all in Pix Insight. <laughs>
3: oh, man. you're tackling the uh, Pix Insight
2: giant. Yeah, you? you just yeah. jump right in, right? Uh, well, wow. that 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 brings up my quite The things I, something I want to know from both of you is. So it sounds to me like listening to your stories that you weren't really thinking all that much about the night sky. Maybe you were, but not like you, something happened, an event occurred and you started looking deeper into the hobby. And Aurelius, I like what your dad made you do. He's like, okay, if you want to get into this, then figure out what kind of scope you need to get. I think that's a great Mm -hmm. task to get you into it. So what I want to know is what, what did you guys as you, cause now you're accomplished right now. You've overcome a lot of the initial Uh, hurdles and obstacles that most people entering the hobby enter or uh, come across, what would you say was the biggest thing that you learned that that you had to overcome uh, to be able to do the kinds of work you're doing now? What was the hardest thing you had to learn? Aurelius, I'll start with you and then, and then Griffin, you can go. What was the hardest thing you had to deal with in getting into this hobby?
0: I think maybe processing.
2: What program do you use for that?
0: I started off using Photoshop. And Deep Sky Stacker to stack, and then now I use PixInsight and Photoshop, and sometimes I use Deep Sky Stacker because I'm still relatively new to PixInsight. So there are some things that I can do easier in Photoshop or Deep Sky Stacker. So those are the three programs I use, and then also there's I have the trial of DxO Photo Labs for. It's got this really handy. AI and noise reduction tool in it. So those are the four programs I use.
2: Okay. And you, but you found processing the biggest hurdle you had to overcome.
0: Yeah, probably.
2: Okay. What about, what about you Griffin? What was your big thing? What, what was the thing that once you got past it, you felt like, yeah, I can do this now. Yeah. I think for me as
1: well, it was definitely processing. You know, um, I remember before I didn't even know that processing was part of the astrophotography process. Um, and I remember once I first learned about it, I was literally just using an online photo, photo, editor. I didn't know what stretching was. I didn't know what the histogram was, but you know, uh, doing more and more research. I finally found out what it was, started using different softwares and then eventually landed on fix insight, which is a uh, really, really great uh-huh. software.
2: Wow. This is incredible to me because here we are, we're in a part of that. We've reached a stage in the hobby. Where two of you who have started at a young age, both of you had, uh, you know, s- didn't know anything about it going into it. And now the hurdle that you said that was the hardest for you to overcome didn't involve equipment. It didn't involve right. your telescope setup, didn't involve polar aligning, didn't even involve knowing where stuff was in the night sky. So that is a real testament to me, anyway, of how far the hobby has, has come. The issue is no longer can you find stuff through the eyepiece or in your viewfinder or on your detector, or can you do the alignment and setup and all of that kind of stuff? Or is your optics even good enough to do this? No. The question is, once you've taken all your data, how do you stack it together and produce a nice quality image? I to me that that says volumes about the state of the hobby, especially when it comes to being an imager. I mean, you, do you do you get what I'm saying there, Dustin? I mean, it's like you know, yeah, the, it's not the the equipment isn't the hurdle anymore,
3: right? Exactly, and um, I think that processing is. I mean, it is a very challenging part, and PixInsight especially. Uh, there's there's so I mean, it's uh, a <laughs> It's a task when you start trying to learn PixInsight. I wouldn't
2: call it intuitive. Well, know? the reason PixInsight is hard is you need to know all of the concepts of what makes a, a processed image good. You've got to know these concepts of, of histogram, stretching, and, and dynamic range. All of these things you've got to know uh, before you can even get into it. Some programs... Like you could do, like even Google Photos will let you do uh what is it, the auto enhance or something like that, and boom, yeah. your 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 shots become nice looking shots at a push of a button, right? And there's yeah. there are things in in amateur astronomy that give you that output, but PixInsight doesn't. <laughs> you it need to know. Is my, it's my favorite tool for processing. It's what I use for everything.
3: But I yeah. really do believe that there's one person it makes a lot of sense to, and that's the person that wrote it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> are you are you saying it's a UI problem, or is it is it a yes? It, yeah, yeah okay. there,
3: there's, a lot, there's a lot there that um, so maybe the even user just interface. The, the naming conventions of all of the tools. <laughs> It doesn't make, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make yeah, a lot you know of sense. Yeah, but you know what, now he if he goes did. to
2: change it, and we had him on the, on a podcast, if, if now if you ask him to change, people are going get, to get, get mad, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're like, wait a minute, I learned this, why did you <laughs> yeah. move that button? This is how I used to do the stretching, now I can't do that anymore. I used to scale my images doing this this combination, now you put it in somewhere else entirely. So now yeah, you're stuck, right? Exactly. This, this UI is, this but- has got to be the way it is.
3: Griffin, I know that like you've spent a lot of time in PixInsight. You know, that yeah. actually, you know, I posted uh, one of my more recent shots. It may have been my most recent shot was of the Crab Nebula. Yeah. And I'd always wanted to shoot the Crab Nebula. And, and actually, part of the reason I went and processed it was because of a conversation I had with you where you mentioned one of the, the tools in PixInsight that you used that I had never used before. It was an HDR tool. What's that thing called? I like it was HDR transform. multi-scale transform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> HDR multi-scale transform. Um, yeah. So the first time I had ever heard of it was when you said it, but I started thinking HDR, if there's an HDR tool in PixInsight, I bet it's powerful. And HDR for yeah. anyone listening that doesn't know is high dynamic range shooting. So basically if you take a really short exposure of something, you know, like the the problem would be imagine trying to take a picture in a dark room where you have a light in the foreground pointed at the camera. You can either take an exposure that will capture the light at the appropriate brightness, or you can take a longer exposure and blow out the light, make it super bright, and then get the details in the darker room. But you know, most cameras don't have a high enough dynamic range to get both at the same time. And the same thing happens when you're taking pictures in space, because like galaxies, for instance, or the Orion nebula, the core is extremely bright. So if you shoot to get all the faint dust out there and you shoot a long enough exposure for that, the core just goes white and you blow it out. But then you have the other problem. If you, you know, you try to capture just the core, then you don't have a long enough exposure to get the dust. So, HDR is the idea of capturing both and then putting them together. Um, Or in this instance, the tool just not stretching or pushing the data as far is my assumption of how it works. But I tried the tool for the first time on the Crab Nebula because it made a lot of sense. It's like, I'll be able to get all those details in the core there. And that's really what I wanted to see. And I tried it. Man, it it turned out beautifully because of that tool. And I had no idea it even existed. So you must have been spending a lot of time in that program.
1: Yeah, I think also a lot of what helped is, and I recommend this book to really anyone who uses Pix Insight as well. Um, it's a book called Mastering Pix Insight by uh, Rogelio Bernal Andreo. Mm. Um, he's just amazing in that software, and he wrote a book basically all about it. Um, I learned a lot of techniques from that, and it's really really helped me with processing.
3: I agree. Yeah, we yeah, need actually, to get him back on the podcast. Right here. We had him on. on it the is. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was on the podcast not, not terribly long ago. Um, I mean, he is, in my opinion, the best with PixInsight. And he um, I mean, he's one of the best imagers in the world as well. He's yeah. phenomenal with all of this stuff. But yeah, I agree. After looking through that book and you can really break it down into every single tool and figure out the ones that work for what you're doing and even gives you workflows. In that book. So mm-hmm. yeah, Pix Insight, you pretty much
2: have to have it.
3: You have right. to have well, that
2: I, I just want to say to the old timers listening to this show, what they're talking about with HDR, it's basically just bracketing. Okay. You bracket your exposures, you go dimmer and brighter, and then you, you combine them with, you get the full dynamic range of the dim stuff and the bright stuff in your final composite. So (laughs) it's not a new concept, but it is, it is a really important one when you're trying to get bright things and dim things to look good at the same time. So did you guys find anything intimidating about this hobby when you started or did you just jump right in? and just say, you know what, I, I got this, I got this. I mean, it, it w- was anything about it, like, scary? I think at
1: the time, in the very, very beginning, I didn't really know much, so nothing was really intimidating. But once I started doing more research and realizing how challenging of a hobby this is, that's when uh, things started to get a bit intimidating.
2: I bet you, Aurelius, anything? You just dive right in.
0: Um, so, before I got into astrophotography. <laughs>
2: I'm looking at you on the video. You've got this really cool demeanor, right? You're like, you know, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man.
0: <laughs> so, before I, just like a couple of days before I got into astrophotography, while I was waiting for the camera adapter to get to our house so I could attach it to the telescope, then I, I, I took out our Pentax K30. And just went to take a few photos of the Milky Way. And they were untracked. um, And I was using an 18 to 135 millimeter. was F3.8 to F5.6. And I remember using that. And I thought it was really cool. Because I could see a little bit of the dust clouds in the Milky Way. And I also then zoomed in went to 135 millimeters and took a picture of the lagoon nebula. And even though I could just barely see a hint of nebulosity, I thought it was amazing to be able to do that. And then also, whenever I took two pictures with like a couple minute interval, I could see the Milky Way moving. But anyways, once I did get the adapter... I put it onto the telescope and I went from 135 millimeters to like a 756 millimeter focal length on, or got not guided, but tracked unguided. And that was a pretty big step. So that part was a little intimidating.
2: These, these
3: guys know their stuff. Yeah, they really do. I'm <laughs> impressed. Impressive. I really am.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I don't know, man. It's like these, uh uh, the the detectors that we have now and the kinds of the uh, the kinds of imaging devices that are out there and the instant feedback you can get i think shorten the learning curve more than anything in imaging that's hit that's hit since well the 1990s really i mean to be able to you know I- instantly get feedback on what you're looking at whether you're in focus whether you can find the thing at all all of these things are are really helping i think to lower the uh Barriers to getting into the hobby, and then of course the processing being probably the the, uh, the most challenging for most people, and that's true with with professional astronomers too. They they use some of the world's biggest, largest, best telescopes, and their data processing. While it's different, they're after data, not not necessarily pretty pictures. Uh, they have a completely. A really complicated time using the software that they have. In fact, it's so bad you think Pix Insight is bad. You should. There's this thing called IRAF that used to exist that was so bad to use that if you didn't hold your mouth right, it would crash. Right. So it was. It was. Re- but but people could not write their scientific papers without it. And so this was. Um, this was. This was an example of the kind of software where it works. You know what it does. Don't touch it. (laughs) Don't move anything, right? And uh, uh, so it's true everywhere you go. I think processing is probably the final frontier as far as making things accessible. Maybe I don't
3: know. Well, it's also you know you you have a um, it's where all the creativity starts outside. I mean, I guess it's not true because you know a big portion of photography is in, you know, the eye of the photographer, really knowing right, like, the composition. What to frame, what are you trying to show? And so there's a very artistic process there to the capture itself. But once you have that data, you know, it's, it comes in and it doesn't look like what people see the final images look like it, right. because the cameras are better than we need them to be. So we have all of this data that needs to be compressed and um, to only show what we're trying to see through the process of stretching, and then of course, like changing colors for saturation, amplifying those colors, Um, you know, all of that process is really, you can do as much or as little as you want with it. And that's where the creativity really starts to play a major role. If two people take the same data and work it, and we've done this on the Twitch Discord many times, the Clear Skies Network Discord, people take, we've had 15 people take the same data, not two of the images look the same. They they look wildly different, like they were shot by different people entirely.
0: But I think processing is like a whole new artistic aspect to astrophotography. And that's what makes each image unique, is the processing. Not the data acquisition, but the processing.
3: It wouldn't be fun to me if there was just like a process button. You just push it, and then it just took your data and processed it to a standard. That wouldn't be fun at all. It's like, that's where... The creativity, that's where you really get to bring out the details that you
2: care about in the image. And it's challenging and that's fun. I would say though, that the only exception to that, to what you guys just said is, is, uh, what Rogelio does, right? He, when he makes his starscapes or his Mm spacecapes, composition matters. I was blown away when Mm -hmm. I found out those weren't composites, you know, those were real palm trees in the foreground and real stars in the background done in the same frame <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so there it matters composition and taking the data uh is is paramount but that's that's really it i mean otherwise Aurelius has got it yeah. you know you yeah you know you center and the think- galaxy and then the rest is processing
3: Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of, I mean, that's what he called in our podcast together, cataloging. He's like, you're not framing, you're cataloging, you know, when you're just like, I'm going to center the target and snap a photo, you know, but the thing is, is like, I have multiple shots of the Horsehead Nebula that don't, to people that don't know space, they would not know it's the same target. You know, I have some that are so cropped in and tight on just the Horsehead itself and then other ones that are so wide that you can see, you know, the Orion Nebula next to it. It's like half the constellation of Orion, and those two those you can't favorite. even tell because of the way that they're framed that they're the same target.
2: Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, so what's next for you guys? I mean, are you uh, are are you just what what challenges do you see ahead of you? Um, you're 13. Um, you you're already top of your game with with imaging so what do you look forward to in this hobby
1: well i think one of the big limitations for me at least right now um is actually um partly equipment you know i'm starting to reach the limits of what a dslr can do you know especially in light pollution i think an astronomy camera i feel like is the next step Um, and i think that'll take me a really long way
2: a monochrome kind of situation yeah monochrome (laughs) What about you, Aurelius? What do you look forward to?
0: Well, so you, um, you might have heard that we've been on a trip for a long time, ever since August, because there's more cases of COVID down in Arizona, and now we're in Oregon. But anyways, I think now the next step is trying to get my rig to be more kind of automated, not completely, but just, I can control it from inside because, you know, outside it's, you know, below freezing lots of the time. And also there's neighbors have seen mountain lions before around there. So that's probably the next step is to get, you know, plate solving to work, make sure I have it set up where it's not going to run into the tripod leg or cables aren't going to get snagged because it's not as enjoyable whenever you're Sitting outside, freezing, but mainly just having to watch out for mountain lions because there we see pretty much every day. There are a ton of deer right around the house, and you know where the deer are, the mountain lion goes.
2: Very true. Yeah,
3: yeah. Mountain lion attacks. Mountain lion attacks are very bad for your images too. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't. They don't, don't make. They don't make uh, the. the <laughs> They don't, they don't make the process enjoyable. I agree with you. Mountain lion yeah. attacks definitely do not. Very bad for guiding as well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think
1: um, with me as well, I eventually saw, um, as some people may know, there's these things called ASI Air. Um, so it's yeah. basically a Raspberry Pi where you can connect all your equipment to and access it remotely. Um, so I actually, with the help of um, someone at my school, um, we got a Raspberry Pi and loaded the StellarMate OS on it. So it's basically a modified version of uh, Linux. Um, and now I can actually control my guiding from inside, which I think is really helpful, especially when it gets really, really cold outside. Um, and you don't Aw, necessarily want Oh,
2: these days. it's <laughs> <You know, laughs> the cold? <laughs> You. I don't blame you. I don't want to go out there either in a cold smoke. I, mean, I don't want that I can either.
0: bear the cold, but I just don't like mountain lions. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm yeah, with you. I get that. I'm with you on yeah. it. We have bear brown bears I here. So. so yeah. We have mountain uh, lions
3: here too. Um oh. a good friend of mine actually on, on he came on the podcast and told his story, Tom Bramwell from Prima Luce. He yeah, he uh remember. he had mountain lion encounters and, and they're out here. I mean, people see them all the time in these mountains. You're in san diego and they're definitely out here and that's that's a terrifying thought being stalked by a gigantic <laughs> cat while you're imaging that's yeah, a terrifying they're quiet. thought so you don't i'm with know you there. There. stay you don't know
1: inside there.
3: man I don't,
1: <laughs> don't want your guiding to be messed
3: up that'd be horrible yeah,
0: yeah. I don't so think you depending. don't know they're there until they want
3: you to know they're there then you, <laughs> yeah. things get real bad Yeah, they never bad. show up to help like, they never show up to help you balance them out. Can you be part you of know? a
2: solution for once, yeah. please? They never
3: show up to participate in any meaningful way. Yeah. What is it with them things, anyway? It's like, come know. on, man. Not a, I'm a here fan. You're trying to take an image. I'm not a fan.
2: Well, I got to ask the obligatory old guy question to young kids. And that is, are you going to are you gonna go into the sciences as a career? Does that interest you at all? Or what do you want to uh, – are you just going to keep this as a hobby, Uh, What do you want to be? What do you want to, what do you, what are your goals growing up? So I think at least for me, um, the science aspect is
1: something I'm very interested in. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd be interested in more of the aerospace, um, uh, part of it. So, you know, um, designing spacecraft, you know, closer to earth or possibly even to other planets. But I think basically the science part of it for me is a big part of why I still do astrophotography as well. You
2: know, um,
1: thinking that's,
2: you, well, you're in the right. You're living at a great time yeah. because, it, especially if you want to be an engineer, building things, and and if you wanted to get into astronomy and not just aerospace, there's room for you there too. Because yeah. if you can build a camera, if you can build a telescope, if you can do if you can do anything like that, you're going to be in demand. So, uh, so that's a good. That's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. What about you, Aurelius? What any plans? You don't have to say you're going into science if you're really not. If you know, you can say you could do anything you want. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, but you. Be better if you went (laughs) in (laughs) science.
3: It'll get cut from the podcast if you don't say it. (laughs)
2: I'm about to make your life really hard if you don't say what I say. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go for
0: it. Well, (laughs) I think it would be really cool to work at some of the big observatories, and Mm -hmm. you know whether it's doing um, like these. Big searches—I forgot the word—but the these big oh, surveys across the sky to search for surveys, NEOs yeah. and you know hazardous objects that can pose a risk to Earth. And also, just doing not just that, but then it'd also be cool to do these deep space observations. You know, like studying galaxies and stuff. And then also, it would be cool to be an astronaut i think that would be cool but then and then would be yeah and then whenever i get older probably one of my first jobs is going to be working at opt
2: (laughs) (laughs) there you go all (laughs) right to stay
3: in the podcast right there you can keep that part in (laughs) uh no no No, opt will be waiting for you definitely that's a great it's a great place great company guys I know, I know we have to break here soon to, to get you back to your stuff, Griffin, but um, I, I just want to say, look, I, I deal with the observatories around the world and, you know, the space community, including, you know, the aerospace companies and, the, you know, the rocket company, SpaceX and the others. Um, I think they'd be very lucky to have you. And, um, you know, what you're doing is is incredible. I don't think you'll have any trouble finding if that's the path either of you end up wanting to go finding it um, something that you wouldn't be able to do. I think that you'd be welcomed with open arms. You know, the community even now is looking for people like you. and You tackle these very large challenges like it's nothing. And, you know, you make it look effortless. So kudos to both of you for everything you're doing. And uh, it's it's inspiring. I can tell you to, to me, to Tony and to the entire community when I watch it on Clear Skies Network, it's very inspiring, guys. So you're, you're doing amazing work
2: couldn't agree more and as as someone who's done that who's worked with in the in the in the with the telescopes from around the world including hubble i just want to say you definitely have a future i'm very excited for you because yeah. it's so there's so many great things we live in the golden age of astronomy and you guys are going to get to to bask in all of that between you know looking at uh, neos or exoplanets galaxies black holes gravitational waves all of it so um i i, I look forward to watching your careers <laughs> uh, unfold and i want to yeah i i want to Echo, thank you so much for taking time out to be on our podcast. So that, uh, so Griffin Hazeman and Aurelius Mitty, uh, thank you so much for taking time out to be on our podcast. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. Thank you so much for watching and listening.
0: Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be on here. You're welcome anytime. And as always, keep looking up.